What is up, everybody, and welcome to episode 304 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening, late into the night here, and usually when I say late into the night, I am joined by Scott Coleman, and hey, it's Scott Coleman. Hello. How's it going, Brad? Good to be on with you. It's been a couple of weeks. I uh, just wanted to uh, to give you a shout out for all the hard work you've been doing. I know that uh, you get a little bit of a break this time of year uh, with, with no basketball coverage, but pretty soon here, this is a great time to be a sports fan with baseball and football back and basketball and hockey are right around the corner. So it's a, it's a good time to be a sports fan and, and I hope you're doing well. Yeah, we're hanging in there. Uh, I've replaced a little bit of that with uh, some day job stuff related to the hurricane, which is less than optimal. But I'm I'm traveling today, so if my audio quality is not great. That's my fault, not Scott's. And hopefully it's uh, listenable today on the podcast. But it's Labor Day weekend. Uh, we're late here. As I said, we're recording. I think it's like you know, 1030 or something Eastern time, right in the middle of Scott's prime. Uh, by the way, you were busy this week because it was it's a West Coast trip. And that means, uh, hey, Scott, do all the recaps. So I know you were uh, up late for all these games. <laughs> I was. Lucky me. I got to get, I think I recapped five and the, the Braves naturally in very Scott Coleman fashion, went one and four in the five games that I was assigned this week. So you are welcome, everyone. You were doomed from the beginning. Um, I like to think it's the West Coast just being funky for an East Coast team. But yes, I was up later than usual, at least covering the games than I normally am. Yeah, those 10-10 starts are just like assigned to Scott. Just so everybody knows, like, unless Scott can't do them, Chris is like, hey, we have Scott. Let's uh, hopefully lean on Scott this week. And uh, gracias for your, for your efforts, my friend. But yes. at any rate, uh, the Braves went two and five. It was not the greatest week in the world. It was not a full-blown disaster, thanks in part. Um, there were some signs, like I almost want to start on Wednesday because there were some signs Wednesday that it might get out of hand a little bit with regard to like, you know, Philly was winning, the Mets were playing better and they didn't like flatten out too much, but the lead is still in place as we were recording. We'll come back to this later on. Of course, the Braves lead the division by two games over the Phillies as of Sunday night and three and a half on the Mets. So it's not like a total disaster, but even with the schedule caveats that we gave last week, having to go to Dodger stadium for three games and then uh course field where the Rockies are good uh, versus <laughs> everywhere else where the Rockies are bad. Uh, you know, two and five was worse than we wanted. You know, I think Eric and I even said, you know, if you go three and four this week, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Well, two and five isn't the end of the world. Although obviously you would have liked to be better than that. Yeah, I think it's just the way that they lost these games was so frustrating. I mean, yes. it was it was kind of a reminder of just what was so maddening about this team in May and June and in July was it seemed like they were in it just about every night. And while they weren't always losing, it felt like more times than not, they just weren't able to get that one big hit, get that one crucial out in the eighth or ninth inning. Um, two and five on the West Coast, especially on the road against the Dodgers team. That's just absurd. And you, you and Eric touched on how good the Rockies have been at home. And that roster really is not terrible for a team that probably should be or is in getting ready for a big time rebuild. That's not, they're not terrible by any means. It's not like they just split a, a long series with the Orioles or something like that. But I think you were hoping for a little bit more. And anytime you lose games the way they did, I think of those five losses, I, I believe all of them or maybe four of them were of the one run variety, something that's plagued this team all year. And, and even the one they didn't, lose by one run was a two run deficit. So it was, it was tough in that sense. It, it, for me, it's always a little different when all losses stink, but if you just have a bad night and lose like 10 to two or something, it's a little easier to forget about versus, versus sitting there for nine innings and, and having a game ripped away from you in the, at the very end. Yeah. You, you pulled this actually before we started talking about the Braves had a positive run differential this week while going two and five, which is like, you know, pretty on brand all the way around yeah. for this team very. considering it's the it's the only team in the division that has a positive run differential and it's like very 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 positive but it's because they seem to win by a lot and then lose by one uh and yeah. you know that's probably a sign of a pretty good team but at the same time uh some maddening stuff in there i, I almost want to fast forward through the first couple of games because they were just so long ago and you know other than ozzy getting hurt on tuesday which uh good you know fingers crossed but he looks to be fine now uh, they dodged a bullet there in a big way when he left the game on Tuesday, Wednesday was maybe the most uh, maddening loss in some respects because they trailed early. They come back they take the lead um, on homers by Rosario, by the way, uh, shouts to Eddie Rosario and David Swanson. And then uh, Matzik gets pulled for Chris Martin and then Martin mm. uh, implodes. And then hours later was on the aisle with uh, elbow inflammation. We'll come back to that. But I just want to say, you know, as of Wednesday night, 
when Philly had lost five, uh, sorry, when Philly had won five in a row uh, before rainouts, the lead dropped precipitously down to two where it still is now. But Fangraphs is just one metric, of course, went from a high watermark of an 88% chance to win the division on Fangraphs for the Braves down to 67%. Okay, so a 21% drop in like three or four days, basically, because the Braves got swept and the Phillies swept their series. So it could all change uh, in the blink of an eye. And I think that was sort of the crescendo of that was Wednesday when they lost a very winnable game and Philly won again. Doesn't it feel like every Braves game at Dodger Stadium is the exact same game? Like, yes, they never get blown <laughs> out. Like, it's rare that they get blown out, but it's close. And, hey, they, they hung tight. I, I tweeted this on, uh, I think, after on Thursday morning after the Dodgers series. And despite getting swept, the Braves played pretty well. I mean, no, that was than- a very uh, optimistic, like, I would say optimistic from you, especially. Like, I was not expecting the Scott Coleman positive <laughs> spin tweet on Thursday morning. So, shouts to you for the uh, role reversal there. Obviously. I keep it positive over there. No, uh, <laughs> I think uh, – you know, they, they did. They, they had a chance to win every game and you know, moral victories are exactly that. But, you know, if they went in there and just got blasted, I mean, other than Drew Smiley throwing a handful of batting practice fastballs on Monday night, every game was competitive. They had a chance. I think they they led in the seventh inning or later in two of those three games. And the game, even when Smiley put them in a 5-0 hole early, they kind of chipped away during the middle innings. And I think they brought the the tying run to the plate in the eighth and ninth innings. So it was not as if they, they just got blown away. It was the same case with the Yankee series two weeks ago, they go and two, but they were very much in both of those games. And at some point, of course, you, you want to turn those losses into wins and help extend out this division lead. But I think this team has shown despite the injuries to Ron Lacuna, Marcelo Zuna, uh, Mike Soroka, you go down the list, they have shown that they can at least hang with the big boys. I don't think anyone right now is picking them to go on a super deep run in October and win a World Series or anything like that. And frankly, that wouldn't be fair to assume. But I think they've shown over these last few weeks, even if the wins and losses have not been what you would want, they're still playing competitive games for the most part. And Hey, I'll, I'll take that. I think uh, at, at one point there in the middle of July, things looked like they were going to be pretty dark and for them to be still hanging in. And as you just noted, still have a two game lead on the division, despite the Phillies and the Mets playing much better lately. I, I think you take it and you hope they can just hang on these last couple of weeks. I think you're generally right. I will present the devil's advocate case. And I think it was, uh, I, will, I will credit this to Stephen Tolbert of Talking Chop fame as well. When he basically said, you know, this entire season has been the Braves playing um, relatively frustrating baseball and then having the best streak of all time, basically for three weeks. Like if you if you break it all down, the Braves have been pretty maddening for all but about three weeks this season. So if you wanted to go negative, yeah. you, you could. But I, you, I, I tend to agree with you that like they've at least been competitive and, you know, they could have realistically, they could have won all of the three games in, in Los Angeles. They, they didn't get blown up in any of those games. Obviously, they lost all of them. I think the Dodgers are better than the Braves. That's not like breaking news. I think if you asked anyone outside of Atlanta who the better team is, they're going to say the Dodgers. But that doesn't mean it's baseball. I mean, things can are weird and things can happen. And um, the division is the focus as it should be at this moment in time. Because honestly, if they were to win the division title this year, given all the factors in play, that's fairly impressive on its own. So, yeah, I tend to agree uh, overall. Just the fact that, you know, as bad as this week was in quotes, like they didn't go 0-7, but 2-5 and was maddening, but it, it kind of did show a little bit of their upside, weirdly, if you want to factor uh, all that stuff in. Um, before we move on to the rest of the week and sort of what happened in Colorado, I wanted to ask you about, you know, I guess Chris Martin being uh, now on the IL, and uh, it didn't seem like a phantom stint. People were kind of saying, you know, he was just bad. They put him on the IL, but it's it's an elbow thing, and might, that might have contributed to his uh, less-than-stellar performance. Also before that, Josh Tomlin, uh, I would say finally went on the IL, backdated with a <laughs> neck issue on Tuesday. Uh, Santana. And by the way, the Tanner Roark era is now over. I'm not sure if you saw that. I actually, I mm. almost missed this on Sunday, but he went to free agency. So he is no longer a part of the organization. Yeah. So the, bull, the bullpen, you know, for the most part, it was uh, not the worst performance. I do have one nitpick later on and very on brand talking, talking chop fashion about the way they use Sean Newcomb on Saturday. But before we get to that, any thoughts on Chris Martin not being there? Because uh, him being good would be helpful, but he hasn't been very good lately. And he's also hurt. Yeah, yeah I, I think we're seeing – I was looking up Martin's season, and in 2019, the year where they acquired him, he had a 30% strikeout rate, which is really good. And even then in last year in the shortened season, 
his strikeout rate was once again, 30%. Um, this year it's down to 17%. I mean, that's almost cut in half. And I, I think he was probably impacted more than your average reliever with the crackdown on the sticky stuff before 2019 or 2018, whenever he came back over from pitching in Japan for a couple of years, he immediately saw a jump in his strikeouts. And I think that that's probably a, a good cause for it. And then you also have to remember that Martin is in his mid thirties, which there are not a whole lot of very good relievers in, in his mid thirties. And he has certainly been good the last couple of years, but I certainly think that there's there's probably something going on with him. He's just not putting away batters. It feels feels like while he's still throwing strikes, he'll get to zero and two, one and two on a batter, and just can't put him away. And that's a real problem. I know that you know you, you don't have to strike out everyone you see, but in a late game situation, it certainly helps. And and Martin just has not been sharp. Hopefully, you give him a couple weeks off and. As you noted, if Chris Martin can get back to being really good, that would be a big, big boost for the last couple of weeks of the of the season. And if they get to the postseason, for sure. But yeah, I think it, it was pretty apparent. He just did not have anything against the Dodgers on, on Wednesday night when they let that game get away. And at that point, you really have no other choice but to put him on the injured list for a couple of weeks. And fortunately, there is some bullpen depth that was not a great week for the bullpen. They let some games get away from them. Uh, but you do have the depth to a stand not having Martin and you just hope that a couple weeks off might give him a chance to hit the reset button and, and find his groove uh, from where he was before this, this recent stretch where he has not been effective at all. Yeah, that, that would be helpful. I will shout the, the bullpen out for Thursday's game because Thursday, it kind of won them the game um, as they bounced back from Colorado, uh, from the losses in Los Angeles with a win in Colorado, the bullpen threw six innings of scoreless ball. It was Jacob Webb for two innings, then Chavez, Rodriguez, Luke Jackson, and Will Smith in order to hold off uh, a tight margin. So, uh, and by the way, that was a game in which Tukey totally blew up. Uh, our, I, I hate that. I hate, I hate talking about that, but it happened. And uh, at least the kudos to the bullpen on that one night on Thursday, because uh, they, they needed all of that because the offense was decent. And uh, Adam Duvall hit a 477 foot home run on Thursday. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm not sure if you saw this because I know you ran it out a little bit today, Scott. Do you happen to know who the current national league leader is in, in RBI? Would it be Adam Duvall? It is uh, one Adam Duvall. Now, now, now RBI uh, doesn't matter as much as you might, people might think, but RBI is uh, still something people recognize. And Adam Duvall currently leads the national league in RBI. And also Adam Duvall has 31 home runs. Wow. I want to see Adam Duvall. I love Adam Duvall. I think we, you and I in this podcast have been very high on Adam Duvall, Correct. even when he was struggling a little bit. I would love to see Adam Duvall in a full season at Coors Field. Like, and by the way, Adam Duvall and Jorge, Jorge Soler is another one. Yes. He might hit 100 home runs. I mean, literally, <laughs> I was going to say he might hit 50 homers. And if you pair them up, those two might have a race for 100. And I know Coors is hitter friendly for everyone. But man, yeah, 477. I don't care. If you're playing in, in Coors Field or, or a Little League stadium, 477 is a long way to hit a baseball, and he had a big hit on Sunday as well. Um, once again, we're, we've seen that these trade deadline acquisitions have been crucial to keep this season alive, and um, it, it's always good. By all accounts, Duvall is a really good dude. I find him really easy to root for, and he's just a fun guy to watch. He's kind of a modern player, and, hey, good for him. He, he has an option for next year, which I think will get picked up and um, for him to, to take a chance and, and sign with Miami and get to play every day. And then of course get traded. Uh, he's had quite the year and has been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Duvall and Soler each have nine home runs with the Braves uh, in 32 and 33 games respectively. So that's like a 40 homer pace for both those guys. Since they arrived in Atlanta, that obviously is very helpful to go along with the, uh, the big four. Uh, if we'll come back to later on, they've been playing every day, basically all season long. Um, and Thursday was even bigger because Philly won again and they came back from six, nothing down to win their sixth game in a row. If they had won that game and the Braves had lost, it would have been, the lead would have been down to one. And then the five alarm fire begins. Uh, I, I can already <laughs> feel it at that moment that it was about to, it was about to happen, yeah. uh, especially with Tukey blowing up and suddenly trailing in that game. But uh, that one felt like, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but it's, it's one win, but that felt like a pretty, pretty big one yeah. given all the factors in play. And uh, the fact that Philly had, kind of a miracle win that same day it was like oh man thank god they won that one yeah now the phillies 
to their credit, I mean, every metric suggests they are not very good. And really what's keeping them <laughs> alive metric. is, I mean, literally, they, True. They, I think you're right. they have, it's crazy. I mean, they have, they have Bryce Harper, who is out of his mind. They have Zach Wheeler, who might be the Cy Young. Um, but if, if you look at this team at the metrics, they're just not very good. The thing that's keeping them in is I believe the Phillies have the best record in one run games in baseball this year. Uh, they won another one run game today. I think they're now 34 and 19. You kind of have to be when you're that far under the baseline for run differential and you're still in the division race. Like, yeah, you have to be good one one games. Otherwise it just doesn't work. So I believe you, that makes and, a lot of and, sense. You know, that they kind of have, yeah, they just, they just find ways to win. And again, it's not that run differential is the end all be all. Cause if it was, then everyone would just try to score more runs. And then the, it's not like the playoffs are determined by run differential, but man, it feels like whenever they lose, they get blown out, but whenever they win, they won an extra innings again today over Miami. Um, I guess credit to them. And even the Mets kind of quietly, everyone wrote off the Mets and they won, I think six out of seven or seven out of eight. They won't go a, away. Unfortunately, they, won't. they had a very easy schedule. I think they had like 12 straight against the Marlins and the nationals. It's a repeating theme. You got to beat those bad teams to stay in the race and Hey, they're doing it credit to them, but yeah, Phillies, they just won't die. It seems like you'll see them and then they just fight back and, um, and really, whenever they're so good in one run, one run games, and the Braves are one of the worst teams in the league this year in one run games. I believe they're nineteen and twenty one, which is just unbelievable considering some of the talent on this roster. That's the reason the National League East is still at two games and not at eight, nine, ten games. Uh, it's again, it's it's a skill. It's not like it's just a randomness of it. You need to find ways. Good teams find way to win games, but man. It's been uh, it's been frustrating to see the Phillies continuing to escape. And as you touched on, whenever the Braves win, it feels like the Braves win big. Like, the, you know, the, the games are not super close, but when they lose, it's of the one run variety. And those are the ones that stick out in your mind. Yeah, I think today's game is a, a reminder of that, too. And we'll get into the rest of the weekend and some rotation stuff, some thoughts on Charlie Morton, some thoughts on lack of rest for certain players, et cetera. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. All right, Scott, let us continue. Uh, before we get into the rest of the weekend, uh, they decided to skip or at least prolong the absence of Drew Smiley in the rotation. Uh, it was Tukey on Thursday, sort of in his place almost, and then Snickers said Saturday afternoon that Smiley would be in the bullpen at least for a few days, although he did mention that Smiley could start next week. I, you know, I wasn't even trying to say that I was upset about it because I, I wasn't. I thought it was totally defensible, maybe even advisable to skip Smiley um, when it comes to Colorado, where his weaknesses probably manifest a little bit. <laughs> With that bad. said, yeah. I, I do think, and I stand by this, I think the Smiley um, evaluations have been a little bit incorrect um, in certain places. I think there's this notion that he's like Tommy Malone, um, who has like a 12-yard like ERA this year. And Smiley's been like perfectly okay since April. He was very bad in April. Um, but I think, I think I tweeted this the other day, but he's only allowed more than three runs in a start twice in the last like four months, basically. Like he's not been good, but he's been totally like serviceable fifth starter type. I, and I said that just to not even say that he should be in the rotation. Cause I think that's totally fine not to have him in there when you have guys like Moeller and Tukey as options. I want to know where you stand on this. Like, what would you do now? Like they've, they've mm -hmm. kind of already pulled him out for Colorado. Do you just kind of leave him in a long man role? Do you go to Tukey? Do you try Kyle Moeller again? Like how do you handle yeah. a rotation? as they hopefully look toward the playoffs? That's a great question. And I, I really don't feel super strongly one way or the other. I, I want to believe in Tukey. I know that is, that is very much your guy. And we know that he can be very effective when he has it working, but oh. other than one or two stars, it just, <laughs> it just hasn't been there. Um, it's, it's hard to trust him because you just don't know if you're going to be able to get more than two or three innings out of him on any given night. And just when it seems like it's, it's over for Tukey as at least as a big league starter and they're okay, it's time to go to the bullpen. He'll have a start where he throws seven scoreless. And it's like, wow, <laughs> where, where is the in-between it's it, the consistency thing has always been a problem for him. It's tough to trust a guy like that. Drew Smiley is not sexy. And I think he has certainly teetered off a little bit over the last month. His velocity was down in that start in Los Angeles, but I think you can at least, trust smiley a little bit more than you can Toussaint right now 
Um, I, I would be in favor of giving Kyle Muller another chance, especially in this upcoming slate of schedule that's a little bit softer uh, with Miami and Washington and, and then the Rockies again. It's not a brutal schedule by any means. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's tough to figure out. Maybe a little time off. Smiley did pitch a, an inning out of the bullpen over the weekend. Maybe giving him a little time off will help him recharge his batteries a bit. I, I guess to, to answer your question, if I had to pick one, man, I guess it would be Smiley just because I think you trust him a little bit more this time of year than with Tukey. Um, even if Smiley is not going to have the upside of, as a, as a Tukey does to dominate for, for a start, but man, it, it's an interesting dilemma for sure. And, and it'll be very interesting to see how this rotation shakes out because not to jump ahead here, but there's another young starter on the Braves with some very real questions right now. And yeah. what looked like it was going to be an abundance of riches for this team in September. Suddenly there's some pretty big question marks with a variety of guys. Yeah. And that was a professional tease by you. Congratulations on that. Um, that segue was nice. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Thank you. I, I will, I will agree with you, by the way, before we totally move on to Anderson and other things like, I think it's an interesting calculation because if you asked me who I would like to start a regular season game tomorrow and give you the best chance to win between Smiley and Tukey, I think the answer is Smiley. Um, I think Tukey's upside is obviously quite a bit higher. Um, I think you'd certainly not be wrong to hope and pray that you don't have to use Smiley in a playoff game. But yeah. if it's just like who can be a little bit higher baseline, I think I would probably go with Smiley as well. Now, that might be controversial. I know there's a lot of angst about Smiley. I see it every time he pitches, whether he's pitching well or not. There's this like fear and I get it. He's not great, but like, he's like a run of the mill fourth, fifth starter. That's just like what he is. And that's not a bad thing. It's just kind of what your preference is because yeah, I, I also, on the other hand, might want to look at Kyle Muller in, in particular and Tukey just to see if you can find something because those guys have just a lot higher upside. And right now when you're leading the division, by two, it might be different. Like if they were up by seven, I kind of would like to see them experiment more. But right now, like they got to win. And, you know, Smiley's not going to win you games, but he also hasn't lost them a lot of games. He's kind of just been like right there in yep. the middle being, you know, decent-ish. So I don't know. It's an interesting thought process. To your point, though, about um, Saturday's game, which was, and, you, and by the way, you know, it was fine on Friday. Like he's just, he wasn't great. He was kind of shaky by his standards, but I wasn't too worried about that. You talk about Ian Anderson, though. Anderson, in his, what became a 7-6 loss on Saturday, uh, threw three innings and honestly was pretty bad. Um, yeah. 33 strikes, only about half of uh, the pitches were strikes. Five hits, four runs, four walks, no strikeouts, and two homers. Now, it's course field, so every caveat applies. I, I will not, like, panic implode based on a start at Coors Field because it's such a weird environment. But he was also really shaky in the previous start yeah. and also was not dominant in Gwinnett. I'll run off some more numbers before I hand it off to you. Uh, in the two outings since he returned from the IL, he has six walks and no strikeouts, which is that's a huge red flag to me. No strikeouts in two, in two outings for a guy who's not like a huge strikeout guy, but still someone who can do that. And also he's allowed 15 base runners in eight and two thirds innings. Uh, that's not going to work. His velocity is a little bit down to like not a ton, like a mile and a half basically was down in, in the core start and the mechanics are not looking great to me. I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but people that I trust more than my own eyes were like kind of worried about what they saw even just with, like beyond the results, just kind of what they saw from Anderson on Saturday. So, I mean, is it worry time? I'm not panicking, but it's, uh, it's eyebrow raising. I'll say. Yeah. It, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I don't want to say concerned, but I'm teetering on, on, being concerned um anderson had three swings and misses on saturday night three yeah and that that's that's an immediate sign i tweeted that's to me as concerning as a guy going out there and like seeing a velocity drop of two or three or four uh ticks like, well and snicker obviously knew or at least thought he had nothing because like they he threw three innings it wasn't like he threw 100 pitches in this game like no it and he wasn't good, but normally if you allow four runs and you're a respected, you know, top three starting pitcher, four runs and three innings is not going to get you pulled. You know what I mean? It was not yeah. like his numbers were so disastrous in terms of run prevention, but Snicker, and I think everyone kind of agreed, like, he's got nothing, man. Get him out of there. And that's not mm -hmm. what you want, obviously. 
Well, and for a guy his age, you you want to protect that asset long term, and that's that's what I worry about too. If if there's if that shoulder still isn't right, or he has some other arm issue going on, I, I think that's a real cause for concern. Um, he was not sharp. I mean, the results against the Giants were fine. I think he threw what six innings or just under six innings, and I don't I don't believe gave up a run, or maybe gave up a run. So of course that's a little different than when you're getting hit around pretty good in Coors Field. Um, but even then I, I don't have the swing and miss numbers in front of me from that giant start, but again, no strikeouts. So it could not have been a whole lot of missing uh, swing and misses. And, you know, when you're, when you're getting soft contact and, and getting outs, people overlook those things, but back-to-back starts, as you said, he was not super sharp in his rehab starts. I think originally they thought he might make two, he ended up making four. And I, I think that's, pretty apparent at this reason why or at this point why the reason was he he made extra starts is because he was not sharp uh so you certainly hope this is him just shaking off some rust he did go almost a month without throwing a competitive pitch so maybe he's still trying to get get his groove and find his timing and all that but yeah i was i'm I'm decently concerned about ian and we know how good he can be but i think you probably have to keep sending him out there as long as he feels okay and just hope that that he's going to be all right, both short-term and long-term, because the Braves need Ian Anderson. No matter how good Morton and Freed have been, and even Enoa since returning, this is a much better team when Ian Anderson is is 100%. And you just really have to cross your fingers and hope that he's going to be back to normal here soon. Yeah, somebody asked me, I think a couple of weeks ago, before he even came back, what I thought about the rotation for the playoffs. And it was like, okay, Morton, Freed, and then is it, you know, or Anderson? I, I kind of laughed it off. Like it's obviously Anderson, as long as he's right. And that caveat's important. Like the, as long as he's right thing is doing a lot of work there, but you know, he's supposed to be one of your three guys this season. Like no questions about obviously with Soroka gone, it's kind of a clear delineation top three. I know, you know, as results have been good, but I, I don't put him in that same category just yet. He might get there. But it's clearly for me, if they're all right, it's Morton and Freed and Anderson in the, in the playoff series. Um, yeah. Anderson does not look right. So that's a big caveat. And we'll see. He's got, you know, three, four more weeks now to get himself to that level. But, you know, it's uh, mildly concerning. That's for sure. And just for the record, the Braves have only announced one starting pitcher for next week. For next week. We'll come back to that in a second. But it's, it's Freed on Tuesday is all we know. Obviously, Morton will pitch at some point. Um, you know, it will probably pitch at some point soon, but there's a, they're trying to, I think almost be purposely vague right now for rotation. Um, cause they have the off day on Monday. That's kind of weird. And then they, uh, the schedule is kind of light. So maybe they'll play around a little bit, but it's free on Tuesday. And then the, we'll kind of see from there. Um, Oh, it's time to do our, our quick on brand rant of the day. Saturday's game, uh, was just a snicker special. And this is one of the things that we pick on all the time. So uh, somebody asked us to do this. And so my apologies, we're going to do it anyway. Um, they brought in Sean Newcomb in a two-run game uh, when he's clearly like the last guy in the bullpen. And this is just a snicker thing he does. He pitches, he punts games when they're down by two runs. So I just don't get it ever. But he, of course, had a four-pitch walk and then a triple right away. And it was even funnier because they didn't use Rich Rod, um, former West Virginia head coach, Rich Rodriguez, and Arizona head coach. <laughs> Um, and Michigan and Michigan head coach. Uh, he didn't pitch on Friday or Saturday um, when the games were competitive, but then was used on Sunday in a mop-up situation, which made it uh, that that's also the snicker special is uh, not using the good reliever the previous game and then having him, having him pitch the next day when your uh, bullpen is off the rails. So again, the impact of this is mild, but I had, I had a good <laughs> laugh because I was, I was not going to do, I actually had it on my notes. I deleted it. And then someone on Twitter, I apologize uh, for not remembering who it was, was like, you guys have talked about this, right? I'm like, okay, we'll do it for a second. <laughs> so here we go. You know, Brad, I think what we need is another like three years to find out if Sean Newcomb can be an effective big league starter. Do you think L- listen, three, uh, three years, four years? What, what do you I, think I was formerly uh, near the front of the line, if not driving the bus for Newcomb in the bullpen. Uh, I have waved the white flag at this point. It's, it's not going to happen. I don't think <laughs> in Atlanta. Uh, yeah. I mean, I saw some, I can't possibly get outraged about this, but there's people that were actually bothered today that Tanner Roark to never come up because uh, he's probably better than Newcomb. And he, he probably is, to be honest. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will eat the crow on thinking Newcomb was going to go in the bullpen. He's no, I, I did too. I mean, there, there was, 
easy to dream on from that one season where he was really good for like half of the year out of the bullpen, but yeah, it's over. Uh, it's, it's at least over. It, at least it Atlanta, but it was just more fun. It was even more funny. I was already frustrated. It's one of the things that, I, that drives me crazy about Snicker in the world is that he just will actively punt a game with they're losing by one or two runs by putting his worst guys out there. And then I realized uh, with some prompting on Twitter that Rodriguez did not pitch until Sunday, which was hmm. uh, play the hits, Brian, play the hits. Um, <laughs> play the hits play the hits um uh, but anyway they lost that game the phillies did lose though finally on uh on saturday which is helpful so no damage done and then of course they win in breezy fashion on sunday with some home runs from duvall and darno as well as riley who's continues to be ridiculous um i do want to take a second now before we look ahead to the rest of the uh schedule and all that stuff for next week and just praise charlie morton for a second literally like my notes just say talk about charlie morton um We've done that a little bit this year, but it, it struck me today looking at his numbers and also just the fact that I think everyone knows he's been pretty good, but I think that just because of all the other stuff that's happened, you know, between Riley's, Riley's breakout and when Dansby got hot and when Freed is just more of a high profile guy because he's been around for a while and everything else that's been going on, Will Smith is a talking point. Uh, Charlie Morton, you know, we have not talked about just like Charlie Morton is good stuff that much. It's kind of like Freddie Freeman in a lot of ways where Freddie just often gets short strift on this podcast and other places because it's just like, everyone knows he's good. And we've done that before too. And last year we got, we got kind of got to fix that with Freddie being so good that he won the MVP. Um, Mord's not that good, but he's basically been a top seven or eight starter in the national league this year. And that may not sound like ridiculous, but when you've got a guy on a one-year deal who is, you know, older than I am, which is not, not a small feat at this point in time, I'm not a young man. Uh, he's older than I am on a one-year deal and he comes in and he's basically just been nails for, especially since like the first couple of starts where he was not quite as dominant. His ERA is, I know, sub three since like May 1st. And for the season, it's under three, five and his FIP and except for even lower than that. Like he's just been very, very good. And like, if you go by the value stuff, he's already been worth like double what his contract is for this year. And there was this you know, this, uh, the Cole Hamels comparisons. I know, I know you saw them early in the <laughs> off season. It was like, oh, Cole Hamels 2.0. And I think yeah. people were not really, not really doing that, but uh, we were high on, on Morton and he's even better than I thought he was going to be. Cause like yeah. guys, guys at his age, man, to do this and be just, by the way, the clear anchor of the rotation. Like he's been the guy all year long. It's been, uh, he's been awesome. Yeah. He's been nails. I mean, when he was in Tampa Bay, I think he was overlooked a little bit, but it's easy to forget two years ago, he was, I think, third in Cy Young voting with the Rays. Um, last year, you can kind of throw out all of 2020 season just because of the weird 60 game sprint and, and all of that. And he was not healthy, but man, his last two years, Martin has been, or Martin, Morton has been as good as basically anyone outside of like the elite of the elites. Like there's that very clear top tier of starters across the league, but man, He's so good. He throws strikes. His curveball is maybe the best pitch in baseball. I think there was uh, one of the researchers for either Fangraphs or MLB.com um, had a thread about how effective Charlie Morton's curveball has been this year. And it genuinely might be one of the best pitches that anyone throws in the league. Uh, he's great. You, you trust him. He works in the games. He was really, really good on Sunday as well, especially with a bullpen that was just torn to shreds over the last week having to pitch a whole lot of innings in Los Angeles and the three prior games in cores. He, he's been great and throws strikes and he's, he's everything you want from a frontline starter. And I, I tweeted it on, on Sunday afternoon. If, if they want to go ahead and wrap up that 2022 contract <laughs> extension, like if you want, if, if Charlie wants to run it back for another like one year and even like $18 million, he signed for 15 oh, this year. If they yes. want to give him a little bonus, um, like you do that 10 times out of 10. I mean, you, you do worry a little bit just because he's, he's older, as you said, he is not a young man, but there's no immediate signs here that he's going to fall off a cliff. The velocity is held. He stayed healthy, knock on wood all year long, which was really the one kind of concern with him coming into the season. Um, he's great and seems to be a great fit in the clubhouse. So if they want to run it back with Charlie next year, I would be all for that. Yeah, he'll be 38 soon, which is obviously a concern. But to back you up on those numbers, uh, this does not even include today's start, which was a good start because it's not updated just yet for the multi-season stuff. But um, the last three seasons, so you know, 2019, 20, and 21, he came in today as the sixth best starter in baseball by Fangraphs War. Um, that's really good. 
And if you go back another year before that, he is still in the top 10 for the last four seasons in, in the majors. That's not just not, that's not like one of the league that's in the majors. So Tony Morton, very good, underrated. And uh, I wanted to at least do it, take a second to be like, Hey, that's his, he's been so good this year. And, you know, Freed's had his moments where he's been dominant. Anderson obviously got injured, was up and down and the absence is broke and all that stuff. Uh, the Braves are not in the position they're in right now without Morton. And I mean, I'm not trying to exaggerate this, but if Morton were to, you know, get injured today, knock on wood and miss the rest of the season, he'd still would have been much worth that investment. Like not even close. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I tweeted that out today. Someone was like, well, he's still gonna pitch one in the playoffs. I was like, no, he doesn't. Honestly. I mean, it'd be nice. They need him to be good in the playoffs for the team's sake, but in terms of the contract, he has already surpassed oh, yeah. any, any baseline of what you pay for basically on a, on a one-year contract. So Throw it out the window. Uh, you know, I, the, the joke's been on Anthopolis's one-year contract stuff, particularly with, with Hamels and even to a certain extent, Dallas Keuchel. But uh, Charlie Morton, big-time win for Alex Anthopolis. Your, your favorite son, Alex Anthopolis. Hmm. Uh, hey, you you're know, coming around, Scott. You're coming around slowly but surely. I that's the game you play with these guys who signed one-year deals. I mean, yeah. there's, there's both incentives for both the team and the player. And Morton is a little bit of a unique case because of his age. And he obviously, I believe he lives in North Florida. So he wants to pitch either in for one of the Florida teams or in, in Atlanta. And that, that all makes sense. That's his prerogative. He's a veteran. I get it. Um, yeah. I mean, as we've seen, there's, there's the upside of the one-year deals. You can get huge value with Morton, with Josh Donaldson, with Marcelo Zuna last year. And then you also have the one-year deals that just really don't work. The, the Cole Hamels, um, you know, Dallas Keuchel was fine. He was nothing. By the way, sidebar. Um, have you been have you been following the Cole Hamels experience uh, post Atlanta? Because <laughs> this is this is a uh, a Braves tour topic like every day. Like he went to the Dodgers and didn't pitch, and now he says he's going to pitch again next year. And it's yep. like, uh, hey, he, dude, he got a million dollars to throw like three bullpens with the Dodgers. I mean, like, listen, it's good work. If you, you get it. hey, no kidding, man. If you <laughs> exactly right, took the words out of my mouth. If you can get someone to give you a million bucks for uh what what what's that come out to like three hours of your time um i i, I would be happy to sign up for that one yeah cole hamels is uh doing well for himself anyway um okay before <laughs> before we get out of here a couple more topics to hit on but briefly a standings check-in as i mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast they're up two on the phillies three and a half on the mets at this moment 538 is updated it gives the braves a 77 percent chance to make the playoffs a 72% chance to win the division. The Mets have come back from being like in the 2% range up into like the nine or 10% range. Phillies in the like, you know, high twenties ish for the uh, division, most places, et cetera. So uh, I still feel good about the Braves. I think they're the best team of the three and they have the division lead. Uh, Is it as comfortable as we'd like? No, it's not. But uh, the schedule as we'll get into now is much more favorable than it was last week. Uh, bizarrely, they have Labor Day off, which that oh, can't make that, anybody happy. <laughs> that's a that's a crime. I mean that that's oh. that's not what you want, uh, especially if you're a uh, a ticket representative in Atlanta at Truist Park. I think you'd like yeah. like to have those games. Uh, I, I guess it's good from a rest perspective, um, but it's kind of just a weird one. But then they have a nine game homestand, and their opponents in those nine games are Washington, Miami. In Colorado, and Colorado, I know is good at home, but they are dreadful on the road. So that's three series in which the Braves will be favored uh, pretty significantly. That's obviously a positive, and that sort of balances the scales a little bit. I was looking at Tank if I'm going to do it again now, because um, last week, Eric and I talked about this a lot. Like Philly was still number one in easiest strength of schedule remaining. Um, they're now down to 29th, but the Braves are also uh, 26. So both the Braves and Phillies have top five easiest strengths of schedule the rest of the way. So I don't know what that means. Take for that what, what it's worth, I suppose. Um, and now that Colorado, you know, Colorado was weighing that down for the Braves last time. And that kind of is weird with the uh, course field factor. Now that they're only coming to Atlanta, I kind of believe it. They still play Arizona four times. They play, you know, these next three series at home. It's not too bad of a slate for the Braves. If you want to yeah. be optimistic. Well, and you know, the Mets and the Phillies are, are partly still alive in this because their schedules the last two weeks have been very heavily geared towards the Marlins and the Nationals. And we, I poke fun at Phillies fans who were given all oh, the Braves. They went on their big run against bad teams. Well, yeah, we all play, you know, every team plays the same schedule at the end of the day. Um, you have to take advantage here. Um, 
looking at the probable pitchers, the Braves are going to miss uh, Josiah Gray in the national series. They're also going to miss Patrick Corbin, who has not been great this year, but I, I, I'll give me someone who is not, uh, you know, someone with, with Corbin's pedigree. Um, so the pitching matchup should be favorable. Miami's offense is just lifeless. So you, you have a chance to, again, you always hate to play this game, but you have a real chance to go five and one this week or, or something close to that. Uh, you never want to put expectations in, in a game like baseball, but if you're going to win the division, especially with one more West coast road trip looming, you really need to take advantage of this week. And then, as you noted, the Rockies away from course have been really bad. Um, I believe it's nine games. If you can go seven and two or something like that in this stretch, you'd feel really good. I, at least I would imagine you feel really good at the end of it about where you sit. And then you have that one lengthy West coast road trip. You still have to go out to play San Diego, the giants and uh, the diamondbacks. And then you come back home. And I, I believe then the season is over with the Phillies and the Mets. Uh, if you can put a little distance in you between, you know, that last week of the year, it would be huge. And, uh, but at least in the interim, you have to win these games against the bad teams if you want to win the division. Yeah, I mean, it's 26 games remaining. Uh, if the Braves can go out and go 18 and 8, they're going to probably win the division. Um, that's obviously a, a lot to ask, but, you know, you have to set those expectations. And against the schedule that they have, uh, you know, their combined opponent winning percentage is 471 the rest of the way. Uh, and that includes three with the Giants, who are very good. So it's not like they don't have the opportunity to make another run here. They just have to actually do it. Um, and this week, you know, again, it, it's not the easiest schedule imaginable, but you play six games at home against two teams that you are like a lot better than, and you can't ask much more than that. So uh, that sets the stage a little bit for what's, what's to come. And, you know, now that the Mets are a lot, I, I did my best to kind of toe the line on the Mets the last few weeks, like not fully burying them, but also making fun of them. And now they're kind of back in it. So I'm not going to pile on too much. Uh, it's not a two game race, a two team race, race anymore. It's a three team race until the Mets fall out of it and they haven't yet. So they're still looming. Although I'm focusing more on the Phillies, I gotta be honest, but uh, that's yeah. kind of where we are. Uh, last thing, because people asked about this today and I know, I think we mentioned it briefly last week with Eric and I, but I want to bring it up again. Um, it was off a tweet, I think maybe by Steven that I was responding to. I went and looked this up. Um, this, the schedule has some breaks in it now. So they have Labor Day off. Then they also have next Monday off, I believe. So it's a little bit lighter on that note. Uh, and the old, uh, a topic that's familiar to us, we'll say, about how the Braves don't rest players, uh, at least their top guys. They just don't do it compared to other teams. And uh, that was driven home. And again, and looking at this, uh, at some of the numbers today, um, Dansby Swanson leads the National League in games played, and the Braves have four of the top eight in the National League when you include Freeman, Riley, and Albies. Uh, also, they have four of the top seven players in the National League in plate appearances. Uh, Freeman and Albies lead one and two, and then also Riley and, and Swanson are in the top seven. Um, it was even more stark than that before Ozzy got dinged up this week and actually forced to miss a couple games. And that was part of what got the conversation going was because Ozzy looked good upon return. Just having a couple of days off might have been a little bit fresher. Obviously, that's kind of anecdotal. I don't want to go too far into that. But we've kind of long talked about on this podcast the fact that it, at least it, anno it annoys me. I'll say that. It annoys me that the Braves just have never rested. Guy. In particular, Freeman's a guy I've, we've talked about this a lot with where he just doesn't ever want to come out of the lineup. But Dansby has literally played, I think, every game and maybe like every inning of the season. Like he's been, he <laughs> yeah, just never comes yeah. off the field. Uh, he's kind of in a funk again. So that's all that to say, like, I don't think I'm blaming it on him being tired, but it does bring yeah. back that conversation that's, I think, annual now about how Snicker does just does not like to take guys off the field. No, uh, I would love to see each of these guys get a day off over the next week. You're playing the Marlins and you're playing the Nationals you can withstand to have as good as they've been, right? Like no one wants to take these guys out of the lineup. I get why Brian Snitker plays them every day. If I was the manager, I wouldn't want to take Austin Riley out of the lineup, but it is such a long and grueling season, even with the built-in off days. Um, maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's not, but Ozzy Albies gets two days off for the first time, like all year. And what's he do? But he hits three home runs in four days at Coors Field. Like, Maybe it's coincidence. Maybe it would have happened anyway, but I think there's something to be said for 
not even just getting a, a breather physically, but mentally sit on the bench, take it all in. You, you, you just kind of check out for a day. Um, I would like to see him do it again. I get why these guys are not getting routine days off, but if they can spell Dansby for a street or for a stretch here, if they can give Austin a breather, uh, you know, good luck getting Freddie out of the lineup, but even if you could get him <laughs> out for a day, uh, yeah. it's worthwhile in the big picture. You don't want this team to be out of gas. I think we saw in 2019, Again, it was the exact same thing. These guys were playing. If, without looking it up, I would imagine that 2019 team was among the very highest in the league and in, in plate appearances for their key guys. And they kind of run at, ran out of gas by the end of the year and in October. Um, of course, this, it's a different team. You can't make that perfect comparison every time, but I would like to see them give these guys a little bit of a breather over these next few weeks, at least when you're facing the bad teams probably don't want to give Austin or Freddie a day off against the Phillies or the Mets or the Padres. But if you can do it against Miami, give them a day. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the week, the day to do that was this week probably because, and I get why you don't, it's this age old conversation about, you know, when do you do it? Is it planned? Freddie is a different animal because he, he just like has kind of said, I refuse to not play basically. And they're not going to overrule him, which I guess I understand but, and with Riley in particular, Riley's been so dialed in, like, I get it. Dansby right now is an obvious one. Like he's, I think he's two of his last like 25. Like, okay, give Dansby a day off. I mean, he, he may not need it on Tuesday because they don't play Monday, but if he comes out again and goes over four on Tuesday, like, yeah, give, give him a day. And it's a thing that I am admittedly, we're not on the level of Snicker when it comes to like handling players and cleaning. Like, I think that's actually something he's quite good at. Um, we're not always the biggest Snicker people, but I, I think he has a genuine ability, a genuine talent, however you want to say that, aptitude to handle a clubhouse. I think he's done a good job for the most part in doing that. And maybe that's maybe that's part of it, just like letting the guys go out there. But we've seen, anecdotal or not, we've seen some guys that have felt worn down at the end of seasons that have played every game. Frey's a good example, but I think Dansby might be one this year that just like may just be gassed. And I get it. And especially this year, because they've kind of had to lean on those guys. You know, I mean, the four guys we're talking about have kind of carried them in a lot of ways because they haven't had Ozuna and they didn't have Ronnie the second half of the season and they didn't have Darno for long stretches and all that stuff. And it's really been those four that have really carried the offense this year. And that's the thing. It's hard to pull those guys out of the lineup when they're carrying. So it's a nuanced conversation. I don't have a perfect solution, but I will say this just broadly. I am not of the opinion that anybody should play every game in a baseball season, baseball season basically. Yep. I think that it's kind of wild. I'm not saying it's impossible. You know, Cal Ripken did it for years. I'm not saying it's like impossible to do, but I think with sports science, like I think most, most people have kind of progressed beyond the notion that a guy's going to play every game the entire season, which Dansby has done to this point. Uh, any other guys, I think, I think Riley and Freeman maybe have played all but one, something like that. So that's a lot of games. It's a lot of innings. It's a lot of workload and they've all been good. I mean, Dansby, even with his cool stretch is still above average for the season as a, as a hitter, which is nice to see, but um, I don't know, no perfect solution, but I, I would not mind, particularly if they have some more distance between themselves. It's kind of hard though, to ask them, I will admit to give them a day off now when the league is two. <laughs> <That's the laughs> I get sure. it. That's a good point. No, I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe it just should have happened in July. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh it's tough. It is. It's tough. Right. Exactly. Right. Nobody wants to take Austin Riley, who's been genuinely like a top five hitter in the game since the middle of May out oh, of the yeah. lineup right now. He's been ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine that conversation. And again, Freddie's like, I'm almost laughing, thinking about asking Freddie to come out of the lineup right now. It's just, there's not a chance it's happening. Yeah. Uh, with Riley, you could probably just like do it. He's a young guy. He's not going to, he doesn't have the same cachet as Freddie, but he's also been your you know, best or second best hitter for, you know, three or four months. So, yeah, uh, it's a weird time to talk about it is all I'll say. I, I know why it came up because of Ozzy looking good have, after having a couple of days off, albeit it was injury related, but, you know, there's a bruise more than anything. And Dansby is struggling, which kind of opens the door because he does literally lead the league in the games played right now. Uh, he's the only guy in the league, I think, that has played every game in the National League. So, no, no great solutions, but uh, I think this built-in the schedule does help them to have back-to-back -back Mondays off um, in particular. And also, there's a – yeah, that next Monday is a off day in between home games. 
that's a mm-hmm. full off day. You know, yeah, sometimes true. off days are travel days, or at least in part like recovery from travel days. Like, like for instance, tomorrow, the Braves are flying back from Colorado today. Yes, they'll be home. In fact, they're probably home now as we're talking, but that's still, they had to fly back from the West Coast. Yeah. They, you know, it's a recovery day in some respects. Next Monday is quite literally an off day. They have a game on Sunday, <laughs> and they have a game on Tuesday and no travel in between. That's a real off day, and that might help them even more. Yeah, that's a good point. You you forget these guys are not robots. They're sitting in airplanes and changing time zones and all of that. Um, I guess to put a bow on it, sure, if, if there's an opportunity, to, even if it's just getting them out of a game, if, if there's like an eight-run lead. Like, like, to, like today? Like it would have been nice to see. Uh, all, like, like maybe, maybe Arcia in the seventh today would have been a good idea. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Little things. What can you do? But no, I, I, I'm with you. I think you have to use your depth a little bit and give these guys a day off a breather here or there. But again, I I get the very real aspect of what are you going to do? Pull Ozzy Albies from your lineup. What are you going to do? Yeah. You're, Uh, you're trying to win every day. You try to win every day. So this is, it's definitely a balancing act. I am not going to act like I have the perfect solution on this one. I know we are guilty of uh, doing that in some certain decisions that is like, you know, handling of players and rest is not one where I'm going to ask like I have the correct answer. I, I will ask the question for sure. And, my as far as I would go is just to say I don't think that anyone should play every single game of the season. I just don't. That's just like my anecdotal and also slightly informed opinion based on like all sports science. <laughs> like uh, just not yeah. something that I think is uh, probably the best thing. But alas, here we are. Um, all right, Scott. Well, we've gone through a lot today. Uh, it's so weird they're off tomorrow. But as we're talking, the Braves are not playing on Labor Day. So if you're listening to this podcast on Labor mm-hmm. Day. Thanks for supporting the podcast. Hopefully people are like traveling to like lakes and stuff. I don't know yeah, what's going to happen on Monday. Somewhere fun. But it's good. Uh, it's good listening material. If you've gotten this far, you probably already recognize that. But tell a friend about the podcast. Maybe you like throw it on your car if you have some friends and maybe introduce them to the podcast. Maybe they'll hate me and they'll love Scott. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but uh, it's a good time to fire up the show. I will say that. And also uh, you get three podcasts for the price of one because you also get Daily Hammer every single day. Mostly with Sean Coleman, and then I filled in once. I think Eric filled in once at some point. Maybe we'll have Scott fill in at like three in the morning one day. Uh, and then Road to Atlanta as well with the minor league stuff, Eric and Grav and Garrett, Matt, et cetera. That's an awesome podcast that I am informed by all the time. So all three podcasts for the price of $0. And as you eloquently said today on Twitter, Scott, uh, you can subscribe uh, whatever you get your podcast. That's right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We really do appreciate all the support and for checking out all three, as Brad said, all three podcasts. I really, um, we really do appreciate your help and support with that. Uh, hope everyone has a great rest of your holiday weekend. Stay safe out there. And, and Brad, this was a good one. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Uh, again, I asked for patience on my audio quality. And uh, Scott, Scott and I also recorded on Zoom for the first time tonight. So little behind-the-scenes action with us at 11-something p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. But we made it to the end. Thank you, sir, for joining me, as always. Uh, as for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast one more time. Follow the show on Twitter at Talking Chop. Follow me at BT Roland. Follow Scott at ScottCaller55 for all of the Arizona football takes. And we'll see you next time.